Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen, the second hour on this Monday, January the 20th, 2020. It is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I'm coming to you today from a um, pillow fort that I built. Uh, I'm in Sedona, Arizona on a weekend um, retreat with 11 girl cousins um, on my dad's side of the family. We've had a wonderful time hiking and This morning, I realized that in order to communicate with you effectively, I needed to create a little quiet space in in the room uh, where I am. So I'm in a pillow fort. It's very fun. Um, Okay, where are you today? Not only in the world, but where are you in the Word? I am in Acts chapter 20. If you want to listen later today to um, my comments about the 20th chapter of uh, Luke's book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. You can go grab the podcast later on today. It will be posted at MyFaithRadio.com on the Mornings with Carmen page. Um, so we are talking on this MLK Day about uh, all kinds of challenges that uh, people still face in terms of justice in the world today. The Probably the greatest justice issue facing us, not only as a nation, but globally, is that of sex trafficking, human trafficking. And it really is a, a demand problem. Like, right, there's too much demand. The United Nations estimates that nearly 27 million people are held in slavery today through human trafficking. That doesn't include forced marriage, which would boost that number to something like 40 million. Um, And Americans are among the largest consumers of human trafficking, particularly that which is sexually related. So I want you to just think about that for a moment. Human trafficking is modern day slavery. It involves the use of force, fraud or coercion, to obtain some kind of forced labor or involuntary servitude or commercial sex acts. Um, And America is a growth market. Like America gets targeted because Americans apparently have a growing appetite for cheap goods that satiate their most base desires. That includes sex. And so when we talk about human trafficking and the sex trafficking, particularly of minors, um, we're, we're talking about something that only exists because there's a perverse demand for it. So suppliers are answering the perverse demand by supplying children for, um, for, for this. And so we have, to de- we have to address the demand side of it. We have talked about that here on the program before, but I wanted to alert you that there is a um, critically acclaimed documentary film. It's going to be released in theaters nationwide on January the 23rd. So that's just coming up in three days. And you can check it out at Blind Eyes Opened, Blind Eyes, plural, opened, past tense, Blind Eyes Opened. Dot com. It's a Fathom event, so you need to find a theater near you by just putting your zip code in to the search engine. Um, Bl- uh, Blind Eyes Opened is a first-of-its-kind Christian documentary that really does dive into the sex trafficking industry in the United States.
States. It does expose the darkness, but it also um, highlights survivors and the transformation that people can and are experiencing. It engages lawmakers and law enforcement and a whole range of um, of organizations and ministries. And so I just want I wanted you to be aware of that. Um, the justice issues for which Martin Luther King not only marched but spoke, they exist today. These conversations continue, and we need to be people who dream impossible dreams today about the end of sex trafficking in the same way that Martin Luther King Jr. dreamed that one day uh, his children and grandchildren um, would be judged by the quality of their character, not the color of their skin. And so what kind of impossible dream are you dreaming today, and how are you walking your faith out into the world in ways that are really transformative? We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. Dr. Linda Mental will be here. We're going to talk about anxiety and depression and worry. Uh, we'll be right back. We shall not, we shall not be moved like a tree that's planted by the water. This is my fight song. Take back my life song. Prove I'm a right So joining me this morning is Dr. Linda Mental. You can find her at drlindamental.com. You can also find her right here on the Faith Radio Network at the Dr. Linda Mental Show. Linda, welcome back. Hey, it's great to hear from you. And I have to say, Carmen, every time I hear your name and, and now hearing that you're in a pillow fort in somewhere in Arizona, <laughs> I always think of where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? <laughs> I know. So your name always reminds me of that, that detective and where well, is good. she in the world? <laughs> That's good. Well, today she is in Sedona, Arizona and, um, and in a pillow fort, which is there the first go. time I've ever broadcast from a pillow fort. So I'm kind of excited about it. It's kind of a new experience. Uh, you'll have to you'll have to blog about it. <laughs> so we, um, I want to talk with you about um, worry and anxiety. You have a, a wonderful piece posted um, on this topic at drlindamental.com. Um, and as the connecting point for today, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, suffered mm-hmm. with depression. So can you um, can you make that connection for us today? I think that there are times that we think of people who have big personalities and big profiles and we think, well, you know, they had it all together. And even though his life ended tragically, I'm sure that, you know, he was uh, he never had any problems outside those that we saw in public. But that's just not true. It's not. And I heard Elvita King this morning talking on another network about, you know, the fact that her uncle was, you know, not a perfect man. He struggled in a lot of areas. And one of the areas that he did struggle in that has been written about, it's been in several books and it's been documented in a Time magazine profile back in the back in the sixties even when he was very prominent. Um, you know, he struggled very much with depression. Uh, some people think it was more of a bipolar type of depression where he'd get on a very big high and then, you know, struggle in the deep lows. And certainly he had a lot of stress on him and he was going around the country and speaking all the time and getting very little sleep. And he had bouts of exhaustion that would put him in the hospital several times. Um, but one of the things we know about people with depression is that they have a great deal of empathy, typically, and that would really fit his profile because he certainly was a very empathetic, compassionate man. But the connection here in, in worry and anxiety, and then we're going to move on a little bit to depression a little bit later, is that a lot of times uh, if you start off early in life and you have a lot of anxiety and you don't get it noticed or treated 
it does develop into depression later on. So it really is a spectrum. Anxiety starts in childhood. So anxious kids, kids who are are struggling for lots of reasons with anxiety. It could be everything from a temperament, genetic makeup to environmental issues. If it's not, if that anxiety is not picked up, we see it over and over. It tends to then present itself in adulthood, sometimes as depression. So they are tied together. Okay, so I may be reducing this too far down, but when I think about the, um, maybe it's the opposite, maybe it's the antonym of anxiety, I would use the word resilience um, because it feels to me as if, um, particularly when we're talking about children, I can either foster in them this view of life of doom and danger and misfortune, or I can foster in them um, this, you know, this, there is a positive future. There is a future filled with hope. There are challenges that we face, but we face them not only together, we face them with God um, and nothing is too big for him. Like there's a difference. There's actually a different worldview at work in the person who is not only anxious, but contributes to the anxiety of others. Right. But you have to be attentive to that child. You have to be connected. You have to have a good attachment to that child. You mm -hmm. have to be able to talk to them about how do you respond? Because children go through a lot of similar things when they're going through school. They have, you know, insecurities and sometimes they get teased and they have, you know, experiences that a lot of kids have. Yet some children will end up with anxiety and some children will bounce back and be able to handle it. I think a lot of that has to do with the parenting that you you give a child when they come home and they talk about a, a difficult, anxious, you know, provoking situation. You help them take their thoughts mm. captive. You help them move forward. You help them uh, come up with a mindset that is a resiliency growth mindset, not a worry some mindset. But if you're somebody who worries um, and worry, I want to say, is the mental part of anxiety. So worry is kind of normal. You know, everybody worries from time to time. I mean, there's there's lots of issues that we could all be concerned about, but there's a big difference between worry about something and being concerned about uh, something. So let me give you that difference, Carmen. You know, with with when you're concerned, you look at the problem, you solve the problem. But with worry, you circle around that problem. So there's no solving. It's just worrying. With a concern, you look at the problem, you get action oriented. But worry is really inactive. It doesn't go anywhere. With with concern, you take control where you can. But with worry, you're always feeling out of control. And that's where it moves into anxiety. And you focus on the problem when you're in concerned about something. You put forth a plan. But worry really distracts from that problem-solving process. And it disrupts a plan. And if worry isn't grabbed, if it isn't stopped, uh, over time, worry can morph into an anxiety problem for somebody. So I am talking with Dr. Linda Mental. You can find her at drlindamental.com. Um, Linda, you actually wrote a whole book on this, Letting Go of Worry, God's Plan for Finding Peace and Contentment. Um, you guys can find that either at Linda's website or you can just find it on Amazon. Letting Go of Worry, God's Plan for Finding Peace and Contentment. We've got to take a quick break. When we come back, Linda and I are going to pivot to a conversation about um, depression uh, and, and antidepressants. Lots of people um, get prescribed antidepressants and then at some point in time, they want to come off of those antidepressants. Linda is going to talk with us about what that process looks like and what happens um, when you make that choice. So that conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
So we're talking on this Martin Luther King Jr. Day about um, a range of topics. Uh, one of those topics is depression. Martin Luther King Jr. actually um, twice attempted to commit suicide before the age of 13 following the death of his grandmother. And um, there are there are lots of reasons that uh, people suffer severe depression, and there are lots of approaches to treating it. One of those approaches is through medication. Dr. Linda Mintel is here. She and I are talking about depression um, medication withdrawal. You can find her article about this at drlindamental.com. Um, Linda, first of all, what is an antidepressant, and are there any natural ones? So an antidepressant is a medication that is just what it sounds like. It's it's developed to try to help people with depression. It's um, There are certain types of them. People will recognize a term called an SSRI. It's a type of uh, serotonin um, reuptake uh, medicine. I don't want to get into too much of that, but it, there's and there's some other types, an SNRI and some other ones that sometimes work for people. But it really is focusing on um, helping a person's mood enhancing that brain chemistry and uh, really more than just the brain chemistry people don't realize that serotonin which is a um, a neurotransmitter that's in our brain that people hear a lot about is also in our gut so uh, these medicines you know focus on the body they really help a person um, who responds to them it can be night and day in terms of the help it, it gives but a lot of people are concerned about going on and first of all they're not appropriate for everybody um, there are some natural forms of, of antidepressant type of supplements that sometimes people take, but you have to be very careful. You have to go to a doctor. You have to talk about what that supplement is and how it may interact with other medications that you may be taking, or you may have a reaction to that. And some, just because something is natural doesn't mean it's safe, and, and that's really the point I want to make. Um, but when you take um, an antidepressant medication, Carmen, a lot of times people will say to me, is it addictive? Is it like taking an opioid or something like that? And antidepressants do not create addictive-like behavior. They don't create craving. They don't, you know, you don't have a lack of control over taking it. You don't have negative consequences. There are side effects to these medications, but they're, they're not addictive. But the tricky part of an antidepressant is that you have to take it long enough, typically, especially the SSRIs, you have to take them for at least four to six weeks a lot of times to get the, the benefit and adjust to the medication. Um, and then you usually, I mean, this is, again, very general, that most people stay on them for about six to 12 months, maybe longer for some people if they're really helping them. And they're not the type of medication that you can just stop suddenly and decide, okay, tomorrow I'm not going to take that. Because there is this effect called antidepressant discontinuation uh, syndrome. And it's not a fun, fun experience to go through if you just stop it suddenly. All right. And we're talking about something like 13% um, of the U.S. population over the age of 12 who who take antidepressants mm-hmm. um, on a regular basis. So we're talking about uh, something that is is happening for, a, you know, and it's a very significant percentage of the U.S. population. And so when we talk about stopping that, when we talk about, you know, people who, f- for one reason or another, want to discontinue, um, they need to do that under their doctor's supervision. I think that is our first highlighted note. And it needs to be stepped down. Yes, it needs to be a, a, yeah. a tapering. Yeah, a tapering effect so that you don't get this antidepressant um, discontinuation syndrome. Because if you do, it doesn't feel good. You get a lot of anxiety, 
sometimes insomnia or vivid dreams, headaches, dizziness, fatigue, irritability, nausea, and even flu-like symptoms. And sometimes people will stop it suddenly and they'll have all those symptoms and they'll think, oh, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting, this is from the medication, whereas it's really from that sudden stoppage that needs to be done, like you said, such an important point that if you if you are thinking, I'm feeling better, I feel like and and here's the thing. Let me let me just kind of throw this in. It's best if you if you take an antidepressant and then you work on the therapy uh, issues that are involved in the depression. So it's the best effect that you get the treatment of depression is if you take an antidepressant is also working through how you cope, how you respond to stress, how you deal with the symptoms of depression, um, and you know some lifestyle changes. It's very important to work all parts of a person, and even your spiritual approach to things. I, I love that when I was getting ready for our time today, I heard somebody uh, on your on your station, on your network say, uh, quote, Lam- Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. And that, that scripture is about we're not consumed. And you've had uh, conversations already about the love of God and Martin Luther King, we shall overcome. So we can overcome this depression that sometimes weighs people down in such a significant way by giving it the correct treatment, working through a problem and working through the stresses, working through the situations that might be triggering the depression. And then in some cases, tapering off that antidepressant when you've dealt with a situation or you feel like you're getting a handle on coping and maybe developing some new skills that you didn't have before. So when we talk about, and again, I'm talking with Dr. Linda Mental. You can find um, what we're talking about today at drlindamental.com. You can also listen to Linda's program right here on the Faith Radio Network, the Dr. Linda Mental Show. Um, Linda, when we're talking about um, depression, it, it, let's just address, and I know we've done this before, but let's just address the stigma related to it. Are we over that as a culture? Like, I feel like I'm over that um, in terms of stigma. Um, but are we, is there still a stigma related to depression in the culture today? I, I think there still is, unfortunately. And I, I do think it still is a stigma in the church um, because we have this very simplistic idea that if you just love Jesus and you pray, somehow all all those negative feelings will go away but you know there's a there's a there's so many forms of depression and so many causes for it uh, that you really don't know a person's life and their life story and what they've been through and we have to be very careful in the church not to judge people because they're struggling with that depression i mean it looks, it appears, if you looked at David in the Bible, you might think that he was depressed and went mm-hmm. through bouts of depression, and he was a man after God's own heart. So I think the church needs to come alongside people who are depressed to encourage them, not judge them if they're on an antidepressant, and not say, well, that's a lack of faith, or, you know, you're just not trusting God enough. You know, maybe there's some there's some chemistry issues that need to be corrected, the, the body does, uh, you know, negative things when somebody's been under a, a long, prolonged period of stress and difficult things. And sometimes we need a little help correcting things in the body to get us to a better place. And then our spiritual life can can actually become more vibrant because of that. So I would just say the church needs to do a better job of this by understanding, making it a welcoming place not gossiping about people who are on medications and certainly not going, oh, there's something wrong with them because they had to take, you know, a medicine or they're struggling with depression. 
so, Linda, thank you so much. Um, I, I think that on this particular topic, you know, we just have to keep circling back around. This is an issue that's not going away, and yet it seems to me that people's interest in it, right, is provoked when they or someone they love are for the first time um, you know, really dealing with these issues in a way where, you know, the word is used and it's spoken. And then and then they're like, oh, now I need to know more about that. So thank you for um, circling back around to these issues. Um, depression is something that at least 13 percent of our population deals with in terms of prescriptions. A lot of other people deal with it um, in, in addition as well through talk therapy and, and other means. So Dr. Linda Mental, thank you so much. If you guys want to read more about this, you can check it out at drlindamental.com. We'll be right back. All right, King's letter um, from Birmingham jail. Let me let me just say, uh, you should Google that and you should read it at some point today. Uh, if you have an opportunity to read it out loud with others, is a great uh, great reminder of the connection that needs to be made um, between not only our social advocacy but our Christian faith. There is a reason that we are justice minded as Christians, and it grows out of. Uh, our, our eternal sense uh, of who God is as the one who is ultimately just. All right, we have uh, one more conversation here before us today, and it's with Dr. David Aikman. He and I are going to talk about uh, the shakeup in the Russian government. We're also going to talk about the U.S.-China phase one trade deal, which has been signed. And yes, maybe we'll get a quick update on what's going on with Harry and Megan. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. So throughout the month of January, we are giving away copies of the Charles Spurgeon Study Bible. You can enrich your daily study of God's Word with sermon notes and illustrations from this great preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, if you um, are looking for a Bible and you, this one sounds interesting to you, right? We're giving away one copy each week this month. You simply enter uh, the drawing at MyFaithRadio.com. Again, our January Bible giveaway is the Charles Spurgeon Study Bible uh, from Truth for Life. And you can enter uh, to the drawing for the one that we're giving away this week at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be right back. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. This is Max Locato. The Greek word for hospitality compounds two terms, love and stranger. The word literally means to love a stranger. All of us can welcome a guest we know and love, but can we welcome a stranger? Every morning in America, more than 39 million people wake up in poverty. And when we provide food stamps, we stave off hunger. But when we invite the hungry to our tables, we address the deeper issues of value and self-worth. God's secret weapons on the war on poverty include your kitchen table and mine. We encounter people. We detect an urge to open our doors to them. In these moments, let's heed the inner voice. We never know whom we may be hosting for dinner. This is Max Locato. My name is Bond, James Bond. Dr. David Aikman is with me from Godspeed Magazine. Dr. Aikman, welcome back. Carmen, thank you. Always nice to be on the program. 
Well, thank you so much. All right. I would like to start with the shakeup of the Russian government. Can you um, can you can you explain to us what is going on? Yes. Well, I think what is going on is Vladimir Putin is trying to shake up the dice of his government to give him an excuse for continuing to be president or continuing to be the ruler of Russia beyond 2024. And he's pulling a fast one by um, getting a prime minister who is relatively unknown and was appointed prime minister last week as as an approach to shuffling around the position of prime minister and president. You may remember that Putin did a sort of patterder dance with um, with Dmitry Medvedev, who was then the prime minister, and then Medvedev became president, and Putin became prime minister. But Putin was clearly holding all the levers of power. And this is just another attempt, I think, to avoid the inevitable, which is Putin eventually will have to leave office. So... It, it's hard for us to imagine, well, maybe it is not as hard for us to imagine as it once might have been. It's hard for us to imagine, though, that um, in an effort to remain in office, a duly elected um, president would seek to change their nation's constitution in order to allow for um, an extended term even under a different title. But that's essentially what's happening here. It's exactly what's happening, Carmen. I mean... This fellow Putin is incredibly clever at uh, switching positions and titles because he's done it two or three times already since the year 2000 when he first became president. So we shouldn't be surprised if he carries through without the bat of an eyelid. However, I don't think you can count on the Russians being complacent anymore with Putin beyond a certain point. At some point, we're going to say, we're fed up with this old guy. He's not done badly, but we want somebody else. All right, David. Let's um, let's pivot topics and let's um, let's talk about the signing of the U.S.-China uh, trade deal, at least phase one. Can you tell us what, uh, from your perspective, what's happening there? Well, yes. The first phase is the outcome of a very long and very difficult struggle between uh, the United States administration and the Chinese Communist Party, because nobody has ever held the feet of the Chinese Party to the fire regarding things like uh, copyright infringement, uh, uh, purloining the proprietary designs of various um, manufacturers, which has been going on for decades in China. And uh, President Trump, to his credit, said to the Chinese, we're not going to do a deal with you unless you really clean up your act as far as enforcement of copyright infringement and various other measures. So they have a system in place that, in theory, will force the Chinese to have to uh, accept uh, American approval of their enforcement procedures before they go ahead. So it's really it's sort of like a trial run. If it works out, they'll go on to phase two. 
but we'll have to see how it works in phase one. All right, David, let's take a quick break. Um, and when we come back, uh, maybe we can talk about Iran. And then I know that we have some listeners who would very much like an update on Harry and Meghan. So let's take a brief break. And when we come back, uh, more with Dr. David Aikman from Godspeed Magazine. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Continuing uh, our conversation with Dr. David Aikman, editor of Godspeed Magazine. Um, hey, a follow-up question from a listener, David, circling back there quickly to um, to China and and the trade deal. Um, any any hope, any chance that China's human rights violations, um, particularly you know, let's say in relationship to the Uyghur population, might be part of Phase Two? I don't think so. Now, this is the uh, rather unfortunate aspect of these trade negotiations. Both the Chinese and President Trump have said they're not going to bring in um, human rights issues at this point. Um, because the Chinese obviously don't like it. And Trump believes that it's an obstacle to clear thinking on the whole trade issue. So. Obviously, human rights will have to come up, but I think will come up in a completely different context. Okay. Um, all right. So let's pivot and have a conversation um, about Iran. We, are, you know, we know that the Iranians are now not going to participate in the Davos conference, and we know that President Trump will be there. Um, we also know that a growing number of what we would just describe as like, you know, famous Iranians are, you know, lining up in criticism of their own government. And that which one thing, David, that's always strikes me is we call it the Iranian regime. We very rarely call it the government. Um, even that language that we use in relationship to them seems to suggest we don't really think that they're as legit as other governments. Um, do you see a shift on the horizon? Well, I, I, I do see a possible downfall of the Iranian regime. And there you go. You heard it first on Mornings with Carmen, because I think it's in a very, very fragile situation. The demonstrations have proceeded from Tehran to Isfahan, which is Iran's second city. And even some of the supporters of the regime, the so-called Basij, this is the sort of thug group who are paid by the regime to beat up demonstrators and so on. Even some of those people are burning their membership cards. I mean, this is quite extraordinary. It's as though, um, you know, the Communist Party of the Soviet Union was suddenly giving up running Russia. And that would have really been an incredibly significant moment. So... The, there are going to be continuing demonstrations, and I don't think that the regime is really going to survive ultimately. I, I don't, I couldn't predict when, but I think it's a very, very unstable situation, and very unfortunate for the Iranians, because a lot of people do support the Islamic Republic, because after all, they brought Khomeini into power in 19. 79 when he took over from Shah, but about half the country is tempered by 
contact with secular Western values, and they don't want anything to do with it. So it's a very, very uh, fragile and volatile situation. And remind us, David, when we think about Iran, we we have to think about um, the context of theology because it really is a theocracy. And that is unusual. It's not unique, but it is unusual in the world today, particularly in terms of nations where we're talking fairly constantly about trade and negotiations. We are still dealing with a country that views itself as ruled ultimately by God, um, but from a very different worldview than those of us living in the West. Yes. It is, of course, Iran is the headquarters of the Shiite branch of Islam, which is opposed by Sunni Muslims who constitute about 85 percent. But Iran has had a Shiite, uh, basically, not quite a theocracy, but a Shiite... uh, Muslim political establishment since about 1500, and they came back in in uh, big um, in big power in 1979 when Khomeini came back, because the Shah of Iran had ruled over an Iran since about 1945, which had been basically secularized for about. 10 years before that. And so Muslim, uh, Iranians were able to take part in beauty pensions. Uh, they were able to go to nightclubs. They could drink and so on. It was becoming an increasingly liberal society. And the reaction against that from the Shiite mullahs and the theocrats brought into power this very autocratic very cruel regime of of the mullahs that is currently there. And uh, I don't think it's going to last. Okay. And then um, because there are people listening right now who definitely want to know the answer to my next question, what is the latest on, um, I don't even, am I still allowed to say Prince Harry? Maybe we're not even using that title anymore. What's the latest on (laughs) Harry and Meghan and why does it matter? Well, the the only thing we're not allowed to say is his royal Harry, his royal highness Prince Harry. <laughs> so he still remains Prince Harry, uh, about fifth in line to the throne, and a uh, popular member of the royal family. The Queen Elizabeth has spoken very kindly about it, but essentially Prince Harry has abdicated from being a royal working prince much the same, although on a different scale, as Edward VIII uh, resigned or abdicated from being king in the 1930s. So it's going to be a very strange situation. And the ruling from the Buckingham Palace said the conditions are going to be reviewed after a year. But essentially... Uh, Prince Harry is going to pay for the accommodation. He's going to pay pay for the remodeling of Frogmore Cottage where he and um, Meghan now live. And he's not going to pay for his security. So he's got to figure out um, how to live and have the money and earn the money to be able to pay for his frivolous things that used to come free 
by virtue of being a working member of the royal family, which he no longer is. So, yeah, just a few things there I think were, you know, are significant to note. They're no longer going to rely on public funds for what right. have, you know, in the past been considered royal duties and now are going to just be considered, well, they're going to have to make their own choices like the rest of us. Do I have enough money to go to that event? Do I, you know, uh, now right. you and I both know that they're going to be, people are going to want them at things and so others are going to pay their way. Um, in order for them to to do what I think they want to do as financially independent people. I mean, I I, I think that they don't face uh, the challenges that others might who would walk away from a job um, in the same way that he has walked away from this job. Right. Well, he certainly he has a royal brand to wave above his head, but there are a lot of, um, a lot of limitations on that. I mean, the Queen at some point might say, I don't think you ought to go in this business because it contradicts X, Y, and Z. And he's not going to have unlimited freedom to do his thing entrepreneurially and at the same time wave the flag of being royal. And the fact that he could no longer use the title His Royal Highness Prince Harry is a very major limitation of what he can do. David, I always love your perspective. Thank you so much for entertaining that question once again today. Um, maybe by next week we will be back to, um, you know, only serious matters, exclusively serious matters. How does that sound? <laughs> well, I don't know how unserious it is, but it's certainly a diversion from Iran and Putin. <laughs> and China. There you go. Thank you for the happy diversion at the end of today's program. That's Dr. David Aikman from Godspeed Magazine. Uh, we'll be right back. Oh, freedom. Oh, freedom. Oh. So on this uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, let us um, not only value the freedom that we enjoy, but seek to extend the reality of freedom to more and more people. What does it look like for you today to not only recognize who you are as an image bearer of God and a person who is free, not only of the penalty of sin, but of its power in your life by Jesus Christ, but what does it look like then for you to stand and speak and march and advocate that others would know the justice and freedom that you know, the liberty of, um, of a life that is, that is free indeed. Um, what are the impossible dreams that you're dreaming today that could only be made true because they're godly dreams and they're God-honoring dreams and they are, um, they are dreams that are way beyond, well beyond the legacy of one individual life? Today, we're celebrating and honoring and recognizing the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., but he, in his own, uh, in his own words, would prefer that we would recognize um, on whose shoulders he stood and on uh, the faith upon which he lived his life and advocated um, others live as well. And so as you live today in the beauty and the truth and the goodness of God, how can you extend that to more and more people by the way that you stand and march and speak and advocate 
on behalf of justice in the world today. Justice isn't just for us. Justice is for all. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll see you right back here tomorrow for another episode. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.